Thank you for listening to the podcast for Icon Church, where we believe all people are icons of the invisible God, made in his image to reflect his glory and grace. For more information, go to iconchurch.org. Super great to be here with you guys tonight. Honestly honored for this opportunity. For those of you who are a part of DOXA, it's really great to see some familiar faces in the room. Really loved getting to know Justin over the season that we were serving together at DOXA. And it's been so fun seeing Icon get off the ground over the past few months. I love every chance I get to share with friends about the amazing work that Jesus is doing here at Icon, getting your weekly update every week is one of my favorite things to see. And I am so excited about this church that is going to plant it in Capitol Hill and really pumped on the text that we get to jump into tonight because I think the text that we're going to be in is really important for all Christians as we consider the things that the Spirit does in our lives, uh, but especially for those who are on the front lines of a church plant. And if you're here in early August in Seattle summer rather than enjoying the beauty, you are committed to Jesus and his mission. And so I am super excited to jump in to this text together this evening. So open your Bibles if you have them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to read the whole thing for us and then we're going to jump right in. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who portions to each one individually as he wills. We pray for us and we'll jump on in. Father, thank you for the incredible way that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, that we're not in darkness about what you're like, but that we can see you clearly because you have shown us what you're like in Jesus and through your word. God, I pray that you would open our eyes this evening uh, to understand more about who you are and the work that your spirit is eager to do in our lives. Holy Spirit, would you lead us as we speak about you tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage starts out, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, which also is referring brothers and sisters, uh, I do not want you to be uninformed. Many Christians in our context, if we're honest, are uninformed and confused about spiritual gifts, just like the Corinthians. At times, I think we can struggle to know what to think about things that might feel weird to us, like prophecy or words of knowledge or tongues. And because we struggle to know what to think about these things, we can oftentimes struggle to know what to do with these things. 
And so since a barrier for many of us engaging the things of the Spirit might be confusion, one of my hopes tonight is to bring clarity to spiritual gifts in general and then also the manifestations of the Spirit that we read about in this passage. So we're going to start kind of big picture, uh, looking at what the New Testament teaches about spiritual gifts, a little spiritual gifts 101, uh, and then we're going to drill down more specifically, uh, looking at each of the nine manifestations of the Spirit in this passage, and then we're going to third talk practically about what happens uh, in our lives, how this practically hits the ground. And it's my hope, my main goal in this time is that this clarity would lead you personally to desire manifestations of the Spirit for the common good, that you would desire manifestations of the Spirit for the common good, because you need this for your own discipleship. Icon needs this, and Seattle needs this, because the manifestations of the Spirit are vital for the flourishing of the church. So we're going to start big picture and look at kind of a flyover of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And I first just want to kind of throw out there what a common misconception is of spiritual gifts. And you might have never articulated it quite like this, but a pretty common understanding of spiritual gifts is that when you become a Christian, you are given a spiritual gift, maybe a couple spiritual gifts. And then you possess that gift for the entirety of your life as a Christian. And you kind of just got to wield this spiritual gift at will that you have, that you possess, that is yours. Maybe you should take a spiritual gift test to try and figure out what this uh, spiritual gift is. Right now on your phone, if you were to Google spiritual gift test, there would be lots of gift tests that would pop up and help you to identify what this ability is that you have for your entire life as a disciple of Jesus. And while this is a common view and it's how some spiritual gifts work, it's not how all spiritual gifts work. While some spiritual gifts are an enduring ability that a Christian possesses, there are others that are given spontaneously in a moment of need. And that's actually what we're going to be focusing on tonight. But it's important that we start kind of big picture here, uh, kind of the aerial view, um, because this difference between the various kinds of spiritual gifts is super important for understanding them and cutting through some of the confusion that can be a barrier for us. So I want us to consider three texts that kind of paint uh, like a biblical mosaic of spiritual gifts. We have 1 Corinthians 12, which is what we're focusing on tonight, but we're going to very briefly consider Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, uh, which are kind of the two other main texts in the New Testament that have lists of spiritual gifts. There's more than that. These are the main ones. It's important that we see that each of these three lists is talking about something that's a little bit different. It's not like these are just one big bucket and all the gifts are the same. It's more like a mosaic. And each passage is talking about a different group of kind of like tiles in the mosaic. So you kind of have like your tiles over here in 1 Corinthians 12. You got your tiles over here in Ephesians 4. You got your tiles over here in Romans 12. And together it's kind of painting this biblical mosaic for us of the spiritual gifts. So we're going to briefly, briefly look at each passage. We'll spend the most time in 1 Corinthians. So uh, again, looking at uh, chapter 12, leave your Bibles open there. That's where we're going to be camping out. Uh, 12.1, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts. That word spiritual gifts is phenomenally difficult to translate, and almost every scholar thinks that that's a pretty lousy translation. 
And the problem is that the word that that's translated from is pneumatikos in the Greek, which gets translated as spiritual gifts. And pneumatikos is, a noun, or is an adjective, rather, that doesn't have a noun. It literally means spirituals, or it could be referring to things that the Spirit does. But what translators will do, because this is an adjective without a noun, is they'll grab the noun down from verse 4, which is the word for gifts, charismata, and they'll slap it on the adjective in verse 1 and create this phrase, spiritual gifts, that isn't what the text is necessarily referring to here, because the implication is that these are gifts that you would possess for your entire life as a Christian. But what Paul is focusing on in these manifestations of the Spirit is that these are things that any Christian can do at any time whenever the Spirit wants. These aren't an enduring ability that some Christians possess and the others don't, but this is something that any Christian can do at any time as the Spirit wills. So why this is important, why you need to pay attention to this right now, is maybe at times, if you're familiar with this text, and I'd imagine some are, and maybe some are, and maybe some here aren't even a Christian, and that's amazing that you're with us, and so thankful for that tonight. But if you're familiar with this text, you might have read this in the past dismissively, thinking, oh, I don't have the gift of healing, so this doesn't apply to me. But that's not how this text is functioning. It's functioning much more as a list of things that the Spirit can do at any point whenever He wants. And so I want us to look at these manifestations of the Spirit with an openness that the Spirit could do any of these things at any time in any of our lives. So that's what 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. It's talking about manifestations. But what about the other two passages? Very briefly, when someone says that you're good at something, what do they say? You got a gift, right? That's what Romans 12 is talking about. It's talking about things that God has made you good at, that you can leverage for the sake of God's kingdom. It seems like this gift is mostly focusing on natural abilities um, and things that God would have us be engaged in, like mercy and service and generosity that you could all leverage for the sake of God's kingdom. It's not necessarily an exhaustive list. A way that you could kind of think of this, if you were to summarize it, is as skill gifts. These are skills that we have that we can use for the sake of the kingdom. And then there's Ephesians 4, which talks about how God has given to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And these are all talking about different kinds of leaders that God has given to the church for the sake of its equipping. So God has given teachers to the church to equip the church to be able to teach, things like that. And as the church uh, expresses the diversity of leadership gifts that we see in this passage, it is built up in maturity. So you could call these people gifts. So to just kind of summarize it, and this is kind of an oversimplification of what's going on, but the big idea is over here, 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about manifestations. Over here, Romans 12 is talking about uh, skill gifts. And over here, uh, Ephesians 4 is talking about people gifts. And together, they're painting kind of this mosaic of spiritual gifts in the scriptures. And again, why this matters for us, why I'm taking so much time to explain this and lay the foundwork, or kind of the foundation, uh, is because I don't want us to read this passage dismissively. These are all things, these manifestations of the Spirit, that any one of us could do anytime the Spirit wants. So let's zoom in uh, on 1 Corinthians 12 here. We're going to talk about the manifestations of the Spirit, which are things that any Christian can do at any time as the Spirit wills for the common good. 
So these aren't enduring gifts. They're not things that it seems like some Christians possess and others don't. Uh, it seems rather like they're things that we could do at any time as the Spirit wills. So taking, for example, the gift of healing. It's not like some Christians possess the gift of healing and other Christians don't. Uh, rather, this is something that God could heal through anyone at any time. The key is what the Spirit wills. If you have your Bibles open, look down at the bottom of this passage, chapter 12, verse 11. It says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is up to the sovereignty of the Spirit. This is up to the wills, the desires of the Spirit. We don't control these manifestations. We submit to what the Spirit wants to do in a given moment. We don't lead the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. And then as we look about verse 7, it says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. These manifestations aren't primarily for us, but they're primarily for others. Not primarily for us, they're primarily for others. Think about a FedEx driver. At the beginning of the day, uh, he goes and picks up packages that have someone else's name on them. And a good FedEx driver would then give those packages to the people that they were intended for. Every morning I see UPS trucks driving past my house and think about what's happening there. It's weird, but it's great. Um, And the, the point of it, right, is that this FedEx driver isn't just receiving these packages for himself, but he's receiving these packages to give away to someone else. It has someone else's name on it. The manifestations of the Spirit are kind of like this. They're not just for us. They're not just for our good, but they're for the sake of giving away to use to serve someone else. So, with that established, uh, we're going to now look at each of the nine manifestations of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, there could be more than that. It doesn't seem like this is necessarily an exhaustive list, uh, but we're going to look at the nine here in 1 Corinthians 12. And the goal is that we would desire these, that we would want these, that we would see how beneficial these are for our life together as God's people, as his church. But since confusion can be something that could keep us from desiring these, I want to make sure that we have a clear kind of understanding of what each one of these gifts are. Because this stuff is weird. Like, what is prophecy? What is a word of knowledge? What is healings and tongues? And how is this supposed to function in the church? This can be a point of confusion, I think, for many. And so I want us to have clarity about um, how these gifts are to function so that we can personally desire these things. As we're going through this, ask yourself the question, what would it look like for the Spirit to do this through me? What would it look like for the Spirit to do this through me? Because he totally could. This isn't just for those who are super spiritually mature. It's not just for those who've engaged in these things before. This is for everyone. This is for you. So continuing in 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse 8. We're just going to work through each of these nine gifts. First two that we see here is this. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, uh, which could also be word of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. It's kind of a disclaimer. This is the only place in the New Testament where these two gifts are called out by name. So we kind of have to look at other things that are happening in the New Testament to get a sense of what these gifts are, and we can't be too dogmatic about our definitions. But it seems like a 
a word of knowledge or an utterance of knowledge is a message from the Spirit through you to someone else who needs wisdom to navigate life. Most of the time, the Bible is sufficient for making decisions in our lives, and we always, always, always submit to the written word of God. But there'll be some times that maybe the Spirit will want to give us a more specific guidance or direction for something going on in our lives. So say, for example, a couple's been married for five years, and it's been really tough, and they're considering getting a divorce. We don't need a word of wisdom for that. We see very clearly in the scriptures that God's will, his desire, is that marriage will be between one man and one woman for life. But say that maybe in another situation, you're a couple who's been married for five years, and you're living in Seattle, and you've had your second kid, and you're looking to have a third, and you're trying to figure out how the heck you make life work, and the finances of being in the city, and how all this pieces together. Maybe God would want to speak to you a word of knowledge through someone else, I'm sorry, a word of wisdom uh, through someone else to you about what he would want for your family in the season ahead. He may or may not do that, uh, but it's something that he could do. And that would be the idea of a word of wisdom. Second gift that's a similar idea, um, but a little different, is word of knowledge. Uh, This is God giving you a message of knowledge, something that you could only know from the Spirit. So as you think about the life of Jesus, there's a common story that some might be familiar with of Jesus interacting with a woman at the well. And he knows that she had been married multiple times and that the person that she was married to or that she was living with at the time wasn't her spouse. And the only way that he could have known that was if the Spirit revealed it to him. He couldn't have known that any other way. And we see plenty of other examples of this in the New Testament, but that seems to be the idea of a word of knowledge. It's something that you know in the Spirit of God that you couldn't know otherwise. As Justin mentioned, I work with students at DOXA, and we recently got to go to summer camp on Woodby Island. It was beautiful. It rained three of the days, but it's okay. I'm actually originally a California native, and so I'm still getting used to the sometimes rainy Seattle summers, but it's all right. We hung in there. It's still a great week of camp. Uh, And there was a student who was with us uh, who came to faith in Jesus and was baptized last summer at summer camp. And this summer he came back with us, uh, which was really exciting. It's been a harder year for him. He doesn't live in the area, has Christians that, or has parents rather, who aren't Christians. So he's felt really alone in his faith. And at the end of one of our sessions at camp, he was coming forward to receive prayer from a leader, uh, actually from another church who didn't know him, knew nothing that was going on in his life. And this leader started praying for him, and God revealed to this leader in the spirit a lot of things that were happening in his life that he was able to pray into. And the student afterwards came to me, he's like, yeah, I was praying with this guy, and it's like he knew everything that was going on in my life, but I didn't share anything with him. And it was a really encouraging thing for him, because God in the spirit that's kind of functioning here, what seems to be like a word of knowledge, was showing him things that were happening in Riley's life that he was able to pray into that really encouraged Riley in his young faith. And it was amazing. It was so cool to see the way that God brought encouragement through the Spirit to this kid who, was coming to, who had come to faith in Jesus, struggling to follow him with parents who weren't on board, but yet he was able to speak through someone else into his life to bring great encouragement to his faith. It's the idea of a word of knowledge. Continuing on, verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. This is different than the faith that all Christians have to believe the gospel. Uh, 
Sam Storms, who's written a very helpful book on this. If you're looking to dive deeper into uh, spiritual gifts, would highly recommend it to you. Um, his book, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, is really helpful. Um, the way that he talks about the gift of faith and would define it as this, uh, the gift of faith is that mysterious surge of confidence that rises within a person in a particular situation of need or challenge and which gives an extraordinary certainty and assurance that God is about to act through a word or an action. Hopefully that's helpful to get a general sense there. Continuing on in verse 9, uh, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Healing is simply when God makes a person whole again. It's important that we realize that this isn't just physical. Uh, This could also be emotional healing, relational healing, spiritual healing, because Jesus cares about healing all of us. Uh, We've seen many physical healings at Doxa over the last several years, and it's been amazing. Uh, In my own life, several years ago, I was walking through a season of pretty crippling anxiety, And there were some days where it was just really honestly hard to get through the day and being in therapy and working through it, uh, there were a few things that were really breaking through in this season. And there were a number of times when my wife, Sunny, would lay her hands on me and pray. And in an instant, God would just break this anxiety that I I was using all the tools I knew how and didn't know how to kind kind of break through. And it was this incredible thing where God was just giving kind of these moments of healing in my life through answered prayers from my wife, Sunny, and it was a really encouraging thing for both her faith, seeing God answer those prayers, and for my own in a season that was really difficult for a lot of various reasons. It's important that we realize that God doesn't always heal. Uh, We see there's even times in the scripture where Paul couldn't heal someone, Uh, and Paul did heal people, but at points he he couldn't, and so God doesn't always heal. Uh, but he can heal, and it's important that we should ask him for healing with confidence because God is a father that loves to answer the prayers of his kids, and very oftentimes he will give us the very good gift of healing as we see the realities of his kingdom and the future reality where all things will be new and all things will be fully healed, breaking into our present reality. So we don't need to ask for healing like a dog with our tail between our legs. We can ask with confidence because God is eager to hear us and many times will graciously answer those prayers. Continuing on uh, to another, the working of miracles. Wayne Grudem, who I know is a personal friend of Justin and one of his favorite theologians, uh, would explain it like this. Uh, A miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder. And so examples of miracles would be healings, resurrections, natural miracles like turning water into wine, reproducing food, things we read about in the New Testament and should expect to see continue in the church today because Jesus said that we would do the same things that he did. We see it less in our context here in the West, uh, but the church in the global South, the church in China, miracles are a very common occurrence. And the point of them and the point of all of these gifts isn't to point to the person, but it's to point to Jesus to make much of him, to glorify him, that people would be drawn towards himself. Continuing on, Justin talked about this a bit, or I'm sorry, Donald talked about this a bit last week. Uh, In verse 10, we see to another prophecy. Now, prophecy is not primarily the prediction of future events, uh, but we can kind of explain it like this. This is Sam Storms again. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. 
Prophecy is a speaking forth in merely human words of something God has spontaneously brought to mind. So the big idea is that God might spontaneously bring to mind a word or a picture or a phrase or a scripture for us or for others. And the big idea of prophecy is that God still speaks. He didn't stop speaking when the Bible was finished. Now, we always submit to the written word, always, always, always. But he still is speaking and encouraging us by his spirit today. And most of the time, that's not through an audible voice. Uh, Most of the time, that's through a thought that he brings to mind. And we always want to test that against the scriptures to make sure that it agrees with it. Uh, If you weren't here last week, would really encourage you to check out Donald's message on the podcast. He talked about some great ways uh, to test prophecy. But it's important that we see the unique priority that Paul places on prophecy amongst the spiritual gifts. Later on in 1 Corinthians, he says that we should earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He places particular importance upon it amongst the spiritual gifts. The purpose of it is to strengthen and to encourage and to comfort us as the church. And it's vitally important that we make space for this. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it says to not despise prophecy. Prophecy has a unique and vital role to play in our life together in the church because God wants to continue to speak to us today for our good and for others' good. And we need to make space just to listen to him. Beginning to practice prophecy is really simple and just making space to listen to God and testing what you hear against the scriptures. Continuing on, uh, in verse 10, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, This is the ability to know if something, an event, a conversation, a prophecy, a miracle, a manifestation, something like that is from the spirit of God or another spirit, a demon. Uh, Earlier in uh, chapter 12, we read, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul begins uh, this this uh, chapter on things that the Spirit does, just drawing attention to the realities of the spiritual world, that there's other spiritual powers at work that are opposed to Jesus um, and that are different than the Spirit of God. And so some are given supernaturally enabled insight uh, into some of these invisible spiritual realities. And that's a gift that is given to build up the church. Continuing on, last two, be brief about this to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Two separate gifts here. First is tongues. Sam Storms uh, explains it like this. The gift of tongues is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, or give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one you might have learned in school. And then on the flip side of that, interpretation is the ability to understand what someone is saying in tongues and to share that interpretation. Tongues is a little different than the other gifts, or the other manifestations, rather, that Paul is talking about here, because tongues is meant for private use, uh, whereas the rest of these are for public use, unless there is an interpreter present. And if there is an interpreter present, then tongues could be a gift that's used in an orderly way in more of a public gathering. It would function similarly uh, to prophecy in that way, because it would be intelligible and could be used for the encouragement and building up of the church, but if there's not an interpreter, then tongues is for private prayer life and uh, is a gift that is given to the church for the encouragement um, of those in their prayer life. 
So, how do we use these? Those are the nine manifestations. How does this practically hit our lives? We've seen the big picture, kind of spiritual gifts 101, the mosaic of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. We've zoomed in on what manifestations are in general. They're things that the Spirit can do through any Christian at any time, whenever he wants. The key is what he wants. Um, And then we've looked at what each of these nine manifestations are. Who cares? How does this hit your life? It all begins with wanting these manifestations. Manifestations, rather. Paul exhorts us later in 1 Corinthians to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The call for us begins with desiring these manifestations in our lives, which means that you personally should desire to heal and to prophesy and to speak in tongues. And I just want to ask you, do you want that? Do you want that? My suspicion is that some of us might not. We might be open to the manifestations of the Spirit, but do we desire them? Have you prayed that you would prophesy for the sake of building up someone else in the church? Have you asked for a word of knowledge for the sake of building up someone else in the church? There's a big difference between being open to something and desiring it. My wife, Sunny, is here with me tonight, and she would not be cool with me being open to time with her, but not desiring time with her. Big difference, right? Big difference. If I'm open to time with her, I might be like, well, you know, if we like happen to be home at the same time after work, I guess we could maybe have dinner together. Desiring time with her would look like putting a date night on the calendar, making a reservation at somewhere good, taking her out, asking her questions, and really enjoying time together. Big difference between being open to something and desiring it. And what I want you to ask yourself is, do you desire the manifestations of the Spirit in your life? And if not, why not? I think for many of us, we might not desire the manifestations of the Spirit because we're afraid. Maybe you're afraid of the manifestations being abused. You've seen the abuses that can happen in a more extreme Pentecostal church. Maybe you've personally experienced that. Maybe you've been hurt by that. Maybe you've seen that, and you're just kind of freaked out by the whole thing. I just want to remind us of the truth that just because something has the potential of being abused doesn't mean that it shouldn't be used. The gift of teaching can be abused, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't teach. The gift of prophecy can be abused, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't prophesy. Um, But I just want to acknowledge there could be real pain there for you that Jesus might want to bring healing to and might lead to fear. Maybe you're afraid of God not answering your prayers for these things. You don't want to be disappointed by God. You're afraid of asking for one of these things and him not answering. The, The truth is that we have a heavenly father who is eager to give us good gifts as his kids. Or maybe you're afraid of losing control. Maybe you prefer a tamer version of Christianity without all this weird supernatural stuff. But the truth is that there isn't a version of Christianity where we can fully control things. There isn't a version of Christianity without the supernatural because at the core of Christianity is the message of the gospel that Jesus lived and died and rose again. 
at the core of Christianity is a supernatural event. And if God could do that, these are very small things for him to continue to do in the life of his church today. And so wherever you're at with this, I just want to make it really clear that when we let fear keep us from desiring manifestations of the Spirit, the church suffers. Because the point of these manifestations is that they are for the common good. They're not for us. They're not for gaining attention. They're not for making much of ourselves. They're not for showing off. They're not for seeming spiritually mature. They're for making much of Jesus and glorifying him and for building up others in his church. It's not about us. It's about him and it's about others. And so when we fail to desire these icon would suffer if you let fear keep you from desiring manifestations of the Spirit. It's not about you. It's about the church. So let's not let fear keep us from desiring manifestations of the Spirit. Jesus invites us to another way than letting fear keep us from pressing in to these things. One of the reasons why Jesus endured the cross was that so he could give us the gift of the Spirit and after that, the gifts that the Spirit would give to us. He told his disciples before going to the cross, uh, kind of looking towards this, in John 16, 7, this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And the helper there is referring to the Holy Spirit. There's a couple things that are crazy in this passage. One is that Jesus is saying that it is to their advantage that he goes away and gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is better that you, as a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus, have the Spirit of God living, residing, dwelling in you than Jesus physically present. That's amazing. Like, we're at an advantaged place in the whole story of God's people because the Spirit has been given to us in a new way in this phase of God's redemptive plan. And you have the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. And that is to your advantage than physically walking with Jesus. It's absolutely incredible. And it costs Jesus greatly to do this. He says in the text that... If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If Jesus didn't live and die and rise again and then ascend to heaven, we would not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us when we put our faith in Jesus. And so if you are a Christian, you have been given the blood-bought gift of the Holy Spirit. It cost Jesus his life to give us the gift of the Spirit is one of the many reasons why Jesus suffered on the cross for you and for me. And so let us not neglect the Holy Spirit and what he is eager to do in our lives for the sake of building up the church of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any of us. It's about Jesus and his glory and his church being equipped with everything that he wants to give it for the sake of people coming to know him and experiencing flourishing and life in him. And we cannot do it apart from the power that he is eager to provide us in his Holy Spirit. The Spirit is eager 
for you to minister to others using the manifestations that he gives. So, really, really, really practically, how do you engage the manifestations? Two things. One, notice people's needs. And then two, pray for a manifestation of the Spirit to serve them. First, notice people's needs. Look around. Maybe there's someone who's sick. Pray for them and ask that God would heal them. Look around. Maybe there's someone who's discouraged. Pray that God might give you a prophetic word to encourage them. Test it by the scriptures and then share it. Sam Storms writes this. Look for a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Be alert to the cry for help and answer it. Listen for the voice of God and speak it. Identify someone's weaknesses and overcome it. Look for what's missing and supply it. When you do, the power of God, the energizing, enabling activity of the Holy Spirit will equip you to minister hope and encouragement to those in need. Don't overcomplicate it. First, look for needs around you. And second, pray for a manifestation of the Spirit to serve the person in need. And then trust God with whatever happens, knowing that the Spirit does whatever he wills. Let's desire manifestations of the Spirit for the common good and the building up of Jesus's church. As we close, I want to make some space for you to silently pray right now, as this is a normal part of your liturgy. And I love that, that Justin is making the space just for us to reflect and pray and respond to what God is stirring in us. And so in this time, we'll have two minutes here for you to silently pray. I want to encourage you to both ask and listen. Ask God to give you manifestations of his spirit to serve others as needs arise. Remember, this isn't an ability that you might wield for your whole life, but just as needs arise, as you pay attention to them, as you see them, pray that God would give you manifestations of the spirit so that you could serve those in need that you engage with. Ask him for that. If you're still confused, ask him for clarity. If you're still afraid, ask him to give you courage. If you lack desire for this stuff, if you don't earnestly desire the things of the Spirit, like we're told here, ask that God would give you the desire. Ask. And then second, listen. Listen and ask if there's anything that God might want to say by his Spirit to encourage you. And then test it by the Scriptures. So we're going to make some space for that right now. I'm going to pray for us and then give you two minutes to quietly pray on your own. Jesus, thank you so much that you are willing to leave heaven, to live the life we could never live and die the death we deserve to die and raise again and ascend to heaven so that we could know you and find life and walk with you today in the power of your spirit. I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon Icon Church. I pray that increasingly we would experience the power of the Holy Spirit 
in our lives, that you would empower us to minister to those in need, not in our own strength, but in yours. So God, I pray that you would meet us and minister to us even now in this time. We recognize that you are here, that you are present with us by your spirit. We want to make space to listen to you right now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Icon Church.